That's Luke 2, starting at verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he had not died before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will be pierced your own soul too. There was also a prophet Anna, the daughter of Peniel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord God, we indeed humbly ask for your light to shine upon our darkened hearts. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see uh, as you reveal yourself in your word today. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles uh, open uh, at page 1028, uh, Logan read for us earlier, Luke chapter 2. That would be great. Well, it is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. You will probably recognize that proverb. It's from Ecclesiastes, which of course remains um, very relevant uh, for us today. Death's reality teaches us how to live life. In fact, a movie released uh, last year titled uh, Living explored this theme. Don't know whether you've uh, watched it. It's um, regarding Mr. Williams, a character played by uh, Bill Nye, a civil uh, servant facing a sudden diagnosis of a terminal illness and only months to live. He at last found his life's meaning and peace in death by building a children's playground for a local community. It's nice, but seems rather sad to me. But in a world without God, 
the best we can do is to stamp our own meaning, whatever that may be, into a, an ultimately meaningless world. Well, very soon, the whole world will be going into a house of feasting as we welcome 2024. There'll be parties, food, and fireworks. So um, I'm sorry if I spoil this uh, party atmosphere this morning, uh, but our passage demands that we do a detour to overhear the words of a dying old man called Simeon. And Luke tells us that Simeon is a godly man, and he is filled with the Holy Spirit. But we know he is dying, because in verse 29, Simeon says, Lord, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Ultimately, what gives Simeon peace in death is living a life at peace with God. Not any God of any religion, of course. You know, Simeon wouldn't understand our modern sentiment when we say it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere and it makes you happy. Simeon believes in the God of Israel, the one who repeatedly says in the Bible, I am God and there is no other. He is the God who reveals himself in human history and who always keeps his promises even when our circumstances look unpromising. With Jesus' birth that we've heard so much about this Christmas, God shows his faithfulness to the salvation promises he had made to his oppressed covenant people, Israel. You know, Christmas didn't just come out of the blue, dropped out of the sky, out of nothing, without any context. But it is good news of great joy of the birth of a God's long-promised Savior, the Messiah, or the Christ in Greek, the Lord God of Israel himself. Now Luke tells us in verse 25 that Simeon has been waiting. He's been waiting for this moment to arrive, for the consolation of Israel to become a reality. This consolation is a direct reference uh, to, uh, to God's promise of comfort written long ago in uh, the prophet Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 1 and 2. Let me read that for you. Isaiah says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. And so remarkably, in verse 26, Simeon has been promised by the Holy Spirit that he would not die 
until he had seen this comfort, until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And so moved by the Spirit, Simeon went into the temple courts where the infant Jesus was being presented for consecration to the Lord. And he took Jesus in his arms and praised God, saying, My eyes have seen your salvation. So Simeon can now die in peace because of God's salvation. You know, our world today, just like Simeon's first century world, is rather unstable and constantly changing. There are forces that are way bigger than us, which we have no control over. Wars not of our own making, or diseases we don't want to have. Just like Mr. Williams, sudden diagnosis of a terminal illness. You know, in this world of impermanence, it is not weakness or cowardice to seek for God's salvation, but it is wisdom. It is not stupidity to receive God's salvation and be at peace with God. But it is surely the most important thing to embrace with joy and enthusiasm like Simeon has done. But you may ask, what is salvation? Well, it is a word that is pregnant with meaning for Israel. It encapsulates God's power, His faithfulness to His promises, His rescue, the forgiveness of sins, and judgment on Israel's enemies. For Simeon, God's Messiah is synonymous with God's salvation. I wonder if you noticed that. Instead of him saying, my eyes have seen your Messiah, that uh, he was promised by the Holy Spirit in verse 26 that he would see the Messiah. But he says in verse 30, my eyes have seen your salvation. So the implication is that the Messiah is equal with God's salvation. The Messiah is the very embodiment of God's salvation. All that salvation entails is ultimately found in God's Messiah, Jesus. He is the very comfort, the consolation of Israel that Simeon has been waiting for. But you may ask, if, if, if Jesus is only for ethnic Israel, then I guess you know, most of us today won't have any share in God's salvation, unless we turn Jews, I suppose. Uh, I certainly would not. Genetically, I'm 90% Han Chinese with uh, a bit of Javanese and the Philippines apparently thrown into the mix for good measure. You know, we are mostly Gentiles, aren't we? We are not Jews. Which is why Simeon's next two verses 
are surprising and a watershed for world history. It turns out that Jesus, Israel's Messiah, is going to be God's channel of salvation to the whole Gentile world also. And so Simeon says, my eyes have seen your salvation. And verse 31, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Well, let's uh, unpack these verses uh, now. See, if in verse 30, Simeon sees God's salvation with his eyes, verse 31 emphasizes that all nations will also be able to see the same. Because God has not prepared his salvation in secret, in some remote, unknown corners of the world, hidden from view. But God has prepared his salvation in the sight of all nations. And furthermore, unlike the Old Testament time of the exodus from Egypt, this time God's salvation doesn't come via an intermediary like Moses. Rather, it's directly embodied in an actual person of Jesus, the Messiah, who is the God of Israel himself walking on earth. And we see this unfold through Luke's gospel as Jesus walks in the midst of Roman-occupied Israel, seen by Gentile, Samaritans, and Roman centurions alike. And later on in Acts Apostles, through the witness of his apostles like Paul, God's salvation will be seen even in Rome itself, the capital of the Gentile world. And so through his Messiah, God is extending his arm of salvation beyond Israel into the Gentile world. The time for Gentile salvation has come. And this can only be good news for us, isn't it? We can say, praise God for your wonderful salvation. Why? Well, because being Gentiles don't simply mean genetically non-Jews. The deeper implication of being Gentiles is that we're living in darkness without specific revelation from God that Israel has enjoyed. No scriptures, no covenant promises, no God's holy laws, etc. That's why verse 32 is such a turning point for us Gentiles, because Israel's Messiah who has been born is a light for revelation to the Gentiles. The purpose of light is to enable sight. If there is only one God and there is no other, then there can only be one true revelation, only one true light 
that can illuminate the dark. Verse 32 is in fact a fulfillment of another prophecy of Isaiah concerning the Messiah, who is also known in Isaiah as the servant of the Lord. Now, God says concerning his servant in Isaiah 49, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles. Sounds familiar? That my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. It is actually good to know that Gentile salvation isn't like an afterthought of God. You know, it's not, oh, I might as well include the Gentiles. No, it's been part and parcel of God's plan all along uh, to incorporate the whole world in his renewed creation. But in all of this, verse 32 also tells us that God has not forsaken Israel. Because Jesus is also the glory of your people, Israel. So all that Israel can boast, God's covenant, uh, promises, uh, the Torah, the land, Abraham, the most supreme of this revelation is Jesus, the Messiah of Israel, her crowning glory. It is tragic, isn't it, how Israel has forsaken her own Messiah. How we long for the Jewish people to turn to Jesus and to see God's salvation like Simeon has done. Israel is, is much in the news lately because of the war, of course, in Gaza. We all know that the issue is complex. But in our affirming of God's faithfulness to the Jewish people, we don't, of course, have to agree with every single thing that national or political Israel does. God can, and in ways that we can't comprehend, in fact works through the failures and the sinfulness of all peoples and nations of the world. But what we want to affirm today and is absolutely crystal clear in our passage, is that Jesus is both light to the Gentiles and glory to Israel. He is truly the light of the world. God's salvation encompasses both Jews and non-Jews alike. Well, friends, Simeon, however, isn't quite finished yet. 
another surprise lies around the corner. Because Luke would not let us forget the sign of the baby lying in a manger. If you remember, if you're here on Christmas Day, in verse 12, Tom talked about the, the sign of the baby lying in the manger. The issue is how is God's salvation going to be achieved? Well, Tom, Tom reminded us on Christmas Day that Jesus is a different kind of king whose bed is a manger and not a palatial mattress. And now we're going to hear another sign. Let's uh, look at verse 34. Simeon says, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. Now, a Messiah who divides and not unites Israel is a strange idea. Surely a king should unite his people against the enemies towards victory and peace. But not so with Jesus. He is destined to be God's divider. He will cause the rise and the fall of many people. There is no neutral ground. Either you will stumble and fall on account of Jesus, the stumbling stone, or you will stand and rise upon the rock, the cornerstone. And also the Messiah as a sign to be spoken against or opposed. I mean, this is another strange incoherence. You know, rather like a king who is found lying in a manger. Surely a king should be a sign loved and praised by his subjects and not a sign to be opposed and rejected. You know, personally, I cannot help but, but see in this verse the silhouette of the cross looming on the background. Luke will tell us throughout his gospel how Jesus is so vehemently opposed by his own people that in the end, they crucified him with the help of Gentile Romans. But, you know, God clearly has a salvation purpose for us through the rejection of his Messiah. Because if we read on, verse 35 says, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. This is another theme you see repeated here, revealed. See, the hearts of men are hidden and unseen places. And through the sign of the rejected Christ, God is revealing and exposing the darkness of our hearts. This is how God is going to accomplish his salvation. He is revealing the enemy within all of us, Jewish or non-Jewish. Just as light exposes the darkness, so Jesus reveals 
the sin within our hearts, mine and yours. There will only be two outcomes from such major heart surgery. Will you turn in repentance to Jesus for forgiveness of sins, seeking God's mercy and His life-giving light? Or will you turn away from the light, rejecting His salvation and preferring to stay in darkness? Once again, Jesus is God's divider. There is no neutral ground. You will either rise or you will fall on account of Him. So friends, as we draw to a close, perhaps we can ask ourselves maybe this rather uncomfortable question, especially at the turn of a new year. How do we want to live what's left of our lives? You know, this is relevant for all of us, whether we are young or old, in good health or not so in good health. Because our days are finite. You know, the contrast between Mr. Williams and Simeon could not be greater. Mr. Williams spent the last few months of his life frantically building a playground and dying sitting on a swing in a cold, dark night, staring into empty space. Simeon, on the other hand, was singing a song of joy, a song of praise to God for his salvation. My eyes have seen God's salvation, and that is the basis of Simeon's peace in life and in death. Well, personally, I would rather be a Simeon, won't you? You know, once an atheist uh, philosopher once remarked that one major drawback in being an atheist is that there is no redemption. This is such a tragic existence. No light, no salvation, no forgiveness, and no hope beyond death. And in the end, everything returns to the darkness of empty space. But the good news of the Christian hope is that we don't have to live in such an absurd existence. Simeon says, my eyes have seen God's salvation. God, who has revealed himself ultimately in human history through Israel's Messiah, Jesus, he truly changes everything. But friends, be careful. Be careful how we see so as not to stumble over Jesus, the stumbling stone. This is a really important thing to take away today. Seeing alone is not enough. There is a kind of seeing that leads to salvation, the kind of seeing that Simeon has found. But the opposite is also true. There is a kind of seeing that leads to our own stumbling through our rejection 
of God's salvation in his Messiah. So be careful how we see. Be careful how we hear the good news of God's salvation, whether or not we are Jewish or not Jewish. There is no neutral ground because Jesus has been destined to cause either the rise or the fall of many people. And therefore, our own destiny depends on how we respond to him. But God doesn't want us to stumble. He's revealed the darkness in our hearts, not so that we may stumble, but so that we may seek him, turn to the light for salvation and forgiveness of sins. Jesus is the sign that is spoken against for our sake. He endured opposition and ultimately the cross in order that we may experience God's comfort and peace. His suffering is truly our good news. Friends, if you want to explore this further, do come and chat to me and, um, or join the Christianity Explored course uh, that, um, uh, that Jack mentioned earlier in the notice. Um, but for many of us who have turned to God and who've turned to the light and are following Him daily, well, friends, let us continue to encourage one another to be devoted to the Lord Jesus until he returns again in glory. Be devoted. And that's our second take-home message today. You know, verse 25 tells us that Simeon is devout, meaning he walks with God carefully and reverently, holding on firmly to God's words like he holds Jesus in his arms. You know, he's a great role model, isn't he, for Christian living. We must not forget, of course, that Simeon, like us, lived in a real world, like, like the rest of people. Uh, believers face life's burdens, anxieties, and troubles. We face the same reality of disease, aging, and death, like Simeon would ex have experienced. But Simeon was devoted to God, and was firmly holding on to God's promise of salvation, even as his life ebbs away from him. In all of this, he continues to wait for God's salvation. Friends, there's a second role model in our passage that we have little time, I think, to consider, who is also waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. You know, she is Anna the old widow. Life may not have treated her very kindly. You know, being a widow for many years cannot have, could not have been easy in first century Israel. But she demonstrates her devotion to God by worshipping God day and night in the temple with praying and fasting. This is remarkable. She is the temple's engine room. You know, if only we could have, I could have a fraction of such tenacious devotion and love for the Lord. Maybe we can start with a monthly prayer meeting um, that 
that we have this Wednesday. But friends, you know, in the end, believers are always people who are waiting, isn't it? Devoted to God through waiting expectantly for God's salvation. Simeon and Anna, they were waiting for all their lives for Jesus' first coming. And similarly to we also, in the New Testament era, look forward to Jesus' promised return to establish God's new Jerusalem, his new creation, where the old order of things will pass away and God's promise, comfort, and peace will endure for eternity. There we'll sing, along with Simeon and Anna and people from every nation and language, Lord Jesus, at last our eyes have seen you, our Savior and our God. Well, friends, uh, let, us, uh, let us close in prayer. Lord God, we indeed thank you and praise you for your salvation. We pray for eyes to see you, Lord Jesus, as God's salvation, as our Savior. We pray for ears that we may able, be able to hear your voice calling us to come to your light. Give us hearts that turn to you for forgiveness of sins and to receive you into our lives with joy and gladness. And give us courage to live a life of devotion to you every day of the life that you have granted us here on earth for your sake and for your glory. Amen.